Well, good morning. It is good to be here again for those who were there last night and, um, and through this mission conference. I, I carried one too many hymnals into the pulpit with me. Um, but it is, uh, it is good to be here as always. Um, I love this church. I'm thankful for it and your support. Um, um, but mostly, uh, this church, uh, I think of any of the churches that support Mississippi State RUF, checks in on me the most. And sometimes I see you all in Duty Noble, and sometimes I see you uh, uh, in Starkville, and sometimes I just get a text from y'all, um, from, from some of y'all, just how's it going? And so thank you for that. And um, remembering us and our family, and um, I'm very thankful for this church. Uh, before we start, too, I do want to introduce there's a few uh, of my interns here, uh, RUF Mississippi State, who I've talked about a lot already, but they're right there. If y'all could raise your hands in that row, sorry to put that. The three out of the four RUF interns at Mississippi State, they will all be here next year, too. And so, would love for y'all uh, to meet them after this is over. Uh, they are the best staff in RUF around the country. So, thankful for them. We are going to continue looking at this one passage again, Acts chapter 1. And I know uh, not everyone was here last night to look at it, and this will certainly stand on its own too. But looking at this little section, the last thing Jesus says in his earthly ministry to his disciples. And uh, last night we talked about the mission that Jesus gives them, us, to be witnesses. I said was simple. It was a very simple task that he gives us, but simple doesn't mean easy. It's simple and difficult, and we talked about how that's true through what Jesus called us to do. This morning, we're going to look at the same passage, focusing on the later half of it, and to say that the mission that Jesus gives his church, the evangelization of the world, bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth, witnessing who he is to others around us, is a beautiful mission. It's a beautiful calling for the church and the people. But there's a qualifier here. It's beautiful, yet messy. Uh, messes can be beautiful, and beauty can sometimes look like a mess, and that's certainly true in pastoral ministry and missions and being faithful wherever you are, witnessing Jesus to people around you. It is beautiful, uh, but it can sometimes be a mess. So with that in mind, let me read our passage, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6, going to verse 11. This is God's word. So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were looking on, and he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We pray and ask for God's help. Father in heaven, bless us as we look at this passage, at this call. Help us to see the beauty of the mission that you call us to, whether we are uh, missionaries or teachers or mothers and fathers, wherever we are, help us to be faithful, Jesus, to what you've called us to do. 
to see the mission as beautiful, to know that it is messy, uh, but that Jesus, most of all, to cultivate hearts in us that, that find you more beautiful. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Uh, my life right now and my family and my house is a mess. We have three kids under eight years old and our house is a mess, our garage is a mess, our cars are a mess, we are a mess uh, in everything in our life. Um, there are times in which I look at my living room and I cannot see the floor of my living room because there are toys everywhere. Uh, there are clothes everywhere. There are, we don't even know if they're clean or dirty clothes yet. We don't know. They went to the laundry and they made their way halfway back. There is food everywhere. There is Cheerios everywhere. There is dog hair everywhere. And it's really frustrating as a parent that we feel like we're cleaning our house constantly. And yet I'll turn around and turn back into the living room and the mess is there again. Really frustrating. My wife and I have different levels of desired cleanliness in the house. I will let you imagine who wants it like what, but it's never that. It's never clean. And as frustrating as that is, there's a beauty to it, isn't there? There's a beauty to a living room that has so many toys in it because you know they were played with hard and fun was had in this room. There's a beauty to a backyard that though it has more weeds than I'd like it to have and it has more dead spots because of a trampoline and a swing set and whatever else is back there, there's a beauty to that uh, because childhood happened back here today and it's a beautiful thing. There's a beauty to little handprints on windows and markers that got on couches and spilled Cheerios because this is a home, not a house. And we live here and we love one another and we get mad at each other and we repent to each other and there's a beauty in that mess. Uh, beautiful things can look like a mess and messes can really be beautiful things. And the mission of God, what he calls us to as his church, as his, as his people to witness to him, to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth is a beautiful calling but it is an absolute mess at times. I think I got into ministry thinking it was pretty clean cut. Preach about Jesus and great things happen, right? And sometimes that's true. But a lot of times it just looks like a mess. <laughs> a lot of times our semesters at Mississippi State look good on paper and they didn't come about at all. But it doesn't mean God didn't work. It just means God tends to work in ways that we're not ready for. That, that, that a lot of complicated things happen in life. A lot of complicated people come into our churches and our ministries and into our lives. And it becomes a mess. But I will argue that in that mess, something beautiful comes about by the Spirit. The mission he calls us to is beautiful. We need to see that. But it will be messy. And so what do I mean by that? As we walk through this passage, I want us to see three things that are beautiful and messy. The invitation Jesus gives us. The confusion that we will have and the certainty that we have. The invitation, the confusion, the certainty. Those are three beautiful and messy things. So first, the invitation. Okay, we're plopping back into the book of Acts. Again, these are Jesus' last words of his earthly ministry before he ascends to the right hand of the Father. And it's important to remember, Jesus' work does not end when he ascends. It's a different type of work, his intercessory role. He is right now at the right hand of the Father, 
bringing the concerns of his people to the Father's attention. Right now, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father thinking of you, his church. But here, from the disciples' perspective, Jesus is leaving. And they ask that one more question that we talked about yesterday that was a really bad question, but Jesus answered it with a great deal of grace that it's a different kind of kingdom than the disciples think is coming. They want a physical kingdom. They want a political kingdom. They want political power. Jesus is going to build his spiritual kingdom, the very kingdom of God, and he issues them a call. And what is the call? To be my witness. Wherever you are, you will receive the Spirit and you will be my witness. And yesterday we talked about how simple that is. He doesn't say go conquer the world. He doesn't say go conquer Rome. He doesn't say go change everything. Go be important. He simply says be a witness. And what is a witness? A witness is someone who simply sees something amazing and says what they see. That's all we're required to do as his people, to to witness to Jesus, to see what he has done. And to tell others about him. That's a simple calling. But I don't want to just talk about how simple it is today. This is, that's not the same message. But I want to talk about how beautiful it is that Jesus calls us to this job in the first place. Because think about it. Does Jesus really need these disciples to be his witness? Does Jesus really need them to do this? Does Jesus really need us to be the ones who are carrying his message to the ends of the earth? Are we the ones that really need to be invited into this? I I don't think so. That God is sovereign and he governs all of his people and all of their actions. That that, that God could snap his fingers, metaphorically, and the mission's over. It's done. He's gathered and perfected his people all on his own. We see this. Jesus confronts Saul on the road to, to, to Damascus and converts him right there. He didn't need someone else to do that. He could do this himself. And yet... He invites us into this job. He invites us into this mission. Now, why? I can't really answer that question. I don't know why God does that. I don't know why he works in the ways that he works, but I do know when 1 Peter talks about the angels longing to look at the gospel, this redemption for his people, there is a beauty that he wants us to see here, that he wants us to experience. That there's something for the people we're trying to reach, but there's also something for us and God working in us as he calls us to do his work with him. It is one of the most fatherly things he can do. He can do the job, but he wants his children to do it with him. I have, a, I have a, almost a five-year-old son. He's the son I talked about yesterday that likes to do things on his own. He doesn't need help, but he loves helping. And when I do something very dad-like, Sam, my son, wants to help me. And um, we'll say uh, the most common thing is packing the car for a trip. Uh, Say we're going to the beach. We have a Toyota Highlander, which is pretty crammed with three kids and baby gear and all that stuff. And so I bought one of those turtle shell hardtop carriers to, to carry more stuff on top because I didn't want to buy another car. So we're just gonna make this thing work for a little bit longer. And I, it's my job to pack the car. April packs the bags, I pack the car. And Sam wants to do it. He wants to help Dad. So we go out together to the car. And the way this works is I have to put the, 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 the third row down half, and my daughter sits in the other half, but all she wants to do is read books. So I just sort of put all the bags around her in the little corner, 
and then I have to go up top and put the baby stuff and the rest of the bags up top. So it's, it's a hard job. And, um, and Sam's going to help me. And so what begins to happen is my wife lines the bags up in the kitchen, and I, I pick up two, three bags at a time. Sam starts dragging one bag, and it weighs about three times as much as him. He can't do it, and so he decides he'll just pick up a toy that we're not bringing on the trip, but he's going to bring that to the car instead. And we get all the bags out, and I line them behind the car, and I start putting them in, and Sam begins to try to pick another bag up, and he can't do it, so I help him with that bag. I pick up one side, he picks up the other side. I am carrying 98% of that weight, but he's putting everything he's got into it, and he's putting it up, and he puts it down, and he goes, whew, and he did it. And then I got to put the bags on top of the car, and I have a little stepladder, and Sam's job is to hold the stepladder. And he doesn't really need to hold the stepladder, it's perfectly fine, but there is one moment where I have to lock that turtle shell thing, and I kind of have to lean, and it's the one moment that I actually might need someone to hold the ladder, and that is the moment Sam goes inside to go to the bathroom. He's not even there for the moment that I need him to be there. And then we finish it, we lock the car, we pack it up, we're ready, and we go call the rest of the family the car, and what does Sam try to say to everyone as we walk in? We did it, we packed the car. And his mom praises him for his help, and I'm covered in sweat, and I'm frustrated, and I'm mad. Because who packed the car? I packed the car. I did the work. And actually, it would have been a lot easier for me to just do this without Sam. He made the process so much harder, so much longer, so much messier. But why do I love Sam doing it with me? Because I want him to grow and learn. I want him to learn how to pack the car, maybe one day for his family to pack the car. Just do dad things with me. I'm going to train you and do that thing. I want him to get stronger and take responsibility. But it's not really that. It has nothing to do with the car, the vacation, or the bags. I just love being with my son. I love doing things with him. I love when we work together. I love when we laugh. I love when we try to figure out a problem together. I love when we're together. And why does he want to do it? He doesn't care. We could get in the car without any bags and it wouldn't concern him whatsoever. He just wants to be with his dad. And isn't this the most lovingly fatherly thing for God to do? That the work that he's doing, the mission that he's doing, the plan of redemption, the mission of God, the mission of the church, everything that God's doing in this world, he decides to include his children. To bring my gospel to the ends of the earth. To be elders and deacons and leaders in this church that I've built. He's giving responsibility to us that that we don't deserve and we're going to make a mess of it. But God's so powerful that it's okay. He can do it. He can work through our feeble words. He can work through our mistakes. He can work through our failures. He can work through our bad sermons. He can work through our ministry ideas that don't work. He can work through our churches that make bad decisions. He can work through his children. And actually part of it is for us to know him as father more as we go about that mission. Isn't that beautiful? It's messy. But it's beautiful. Our God has no desire to be efficient. He has a desire to include his people in this mission for us to gaze upon the beauty of him and the gospel and to get front row seats to see people come into the kingdom. It's amazing he gives us that. His most treasured possession in the church, he gives it to us. It's amazing. But the second thing that's beautiful and messy about the mission is the confusion. This is my favorite part about the passage. The disciples are here 
And they're talking to Jesus and they ask him this question and Jesus corrects them, gives them this job to do and then he goes into the ascension. He is gathered up by a cloud. I don't know what that looks like and I'm going to catch up with verse 9 again. And when they said these things, we said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I love this moment because the first action of the disciples after Jesus ascends into heaven is they just stare at the sky. Almost the first action of church leadership is a mistake. (laughs) That God then has to send angels, messengers to say, stop staring at the sky, go. It's time to go. The mission's here. The mission's now. But I love this moment of these 11 men looking up and waiting for something. They watch Jesus go. And I think there's an amazement, right? They're part of a moment. They probably recognize this is a big moment. This is the ascension. I can't believe that just happened. I don't know what it looked like for Jesus to be taken up in a cloud. But they watched and they couldn't stop watching. I think there was a a worshiping of Jesus in this moment. I think they were blown away by this moment. I also wonder, though, if there was a great deal of disappointment in this moment that maybe he wasn't going to leave. That they are now feeling very alone in this moment. Almost, Almost like a dog watching its owner walk away, hoping that the owner walks back. That though Jesus told them he was going to leave, he also told them he was going to die, and they never got comfortable with that idea either. That there's a great sadness here, and there's a great confusion. What do we do? He left us. That from that perspective, it feels like they are very much alone, even though he just promised the Holy Spirit. I love how Acts, when Luke writes Acts, he includes sort of the failures of the disciples and the apostles. That actually what we see, we only have really two stories of what happens in the church After Jesus ascends into heaven and before the Holy Spirit comes, they do two things. They stare at the sky way too long and they replace one of their members. That's the only two things they are able to do. (laughs) And I think we can say that without the Spirit, the church would not be doing so good right now. But, But in this moment... In this moment, we see the utter confusion and the utter helplessness of the disciples, but then what happens? I'm going to skip ahead from our passage a little bit. The Spirit comes. The Spirit comes and begins to use these confused disciples. The Spirit comes, and, and who does the Spirit begin to speak through at Pentecost? But Peter. Could we say probably the most confused disciple that we have? The one who speaks before he thinks, the one who acts before he thinks, the one who doesn't do a whole lot of thinking in the, in the, in the gospel. And it's my, one of my favorite things about Peter. I feel like I'm a lot like Peter. And all of a sudden, the one who rejected Jesus three times on the day of his death that's then reconciled by Jesus post his resurrection, now the Spirit comes and speaks through, I would argue, the most confused disciple. And then what happens through Peter's words? Thousands converted in the church is beginning to build. And isn't that the way God works? His strength made known through our weakness. His mission continuing even through a confused people. This is how God works. He loves to work through irony, doesn't he? I'm going to speak through Peter who really blew it not that long ago. 
Because it's the same God who calls an old couple who can't have a baby to be parents of a nation. That's how God works. He's the same God who calls a stammering man who cannot speak in front of people to lead his people out of Egypt and towards the promised land. That's the kind of God that we have. That he calls a king that's the runt of the litter of his own family that wasn't even invited to the meeting to make a new king who constantly messes up and who makes a mess And yet he calls him to be the king to lead his people, calls him a man after God's own heart, and is a shadow of Jesus to come, telling us what Jesus is going to be like. That he's a God who calls a nation that can't seem to be faithful for any stretch of time to be his and to be a blessing of the world. And he calls a group of men who are staring at the sky for too long to be the leaders of his church, to build the church, to take this mission to the end of the earth. And now we're here today, Main Street Presbyterian Church. Still a confused group of people. Still really not knowing what to do. You are looking at a confused campus minister who goes to campus every day, not really knowing what to do or what to say. And yet God continues to work through his confused people. And I think half the reason he calls us into the Great Commission is to work in our hearts a love and a dependency upon him. This will not be pretty. This will not be easy. It will actually force you to trust me more as you go about this work. I remember a mentor of mine that I would call every now and then. Um, I, I called early on at Mississippi State when I got here because I was just frustrated with ministry. Um, I was the new campus minister, uh, and I, uh, I was running into a lot of problems. I called him, and I said, I'm frustrated because there's a group of students who don't seem to like me, and they're not getting on board. Uh, I'm frustrated because there's another group of students that are, are on board, but they don't show up to anything, uh, and they're apathetic, and I don't know how to do this. I was frustrated because there wasn't much money in the ministry account, and I had to start raising money while trying to build this ministry. I was frustrated because of the things vying for students' attention over RUF, because that was not my plan. I was frustrated because I came with great outreach plans, none of which worked that first or second semester. I was frustrated. And I called my mentor and told him all these things, hoping he'd give me some advice, and essentially all he said was, yeah, Joe, but without those things, you would probably forget that you really need Jesus that maybe that's actually for your good. You're confused, you're weak, and that is actually someone who can do great things for Jesus because you know your need of him. Jesus says, be a witness. And it's not gonna be easy, it's gonna be beautiful, it's gonna be messy, and I think that's the point. Isn't that amazing? He calls us to do that. But then thirdly, and lastly, what is beautiful and messy about this mission It's the certainty, the certainty of the end. And now lastly, I want to talk about that last little phrase at the end of verse 11. This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now all of a sudden, this angel who has come to kind of say, guys, stop looking at the sky, it's time to get to work, is now going to talk to them about the second coming of Jesus, that he's coming back. And we don't learn as much about how Jesus is coming back and the circumstances of the second coming, but really we hear the promise of the second coming. Jesus is going to come back. 
This actually might be the most encouraging thing these angels could have said to these men. Jesus is coming back. And what will he do when he comes back? He will bring his kingdom with him. He will finish the job. He will make all things right and new. He will raise his people. He will vindicate his people on judgment day. And then he will dwell with his people forever in the new heavens, new earth. In other words, and this is amazing, the angels answered the question the disciples actually asked Jesus. When they asked him, well, this time will you restore the kingdom to Israel? The angels answer, and Jesus will come back, and the king will bring his kingdom with him. The job will be finished, and it's not dependent upon you and your great things. It's dependent upon the king. It's as sure as his resurrection, that this is a promise the job will be finished. And it's not, without this, I would not be a campus minister. Without this, I would not do any sort of ministry because without this, without this already claimed victory of Jesus, it is all on us. It is all in our abilities. It is all in how convincing we can be and how good our plans can go. But we do not go into this mission hoping for a victory. We go into this mission knowing that Jesus has already defeated sin, death, Satan, and all of it and quenched the wrath of God. The kingdom is as sure as Jesus' work. And so what does that mean? It means that we go into the mission knowing the end is certain. That changes the way you live. When you know the end of the story, you live the story different. Has anyone ever ruined a movie for you? The end. The twist ending. Has anyone ever ruined the end of a game that maybe you recorded and wanted to watch later? Someone ruined um, the movie, this is an older movie now, The Sixth Sense, (laughs) you remember that? The first big twist ending that was in theaters. Someone ruined it for me when I was younger. And I remember when you watch a movie that you already know the end of, you watch it completely differently. Because you're not watching it with the ups and downs of everyone else of like, where is this gonna go? This is crazy, what's happening here? When you know the end of the story, you're asking a different question, you're asking, How are the writers going to end it in the way that I know it's going to end? How are they going to get there? How's this story going to to go to, to end where I know it ends? That's actually how the Christian lives their life. We know our end, Main Street Press. We know the end of the story to dwell in the new heavens and new earth with Jesus forever and that nothing can take that away from us. That that is sure that he is coming back, that we await the day when he makes all things right and all things good and all things true. But we don't know what's going to happen between now and then. It's the beauty of the certainty, but it's the mess of the in-between. But the, but the moment, that this is for us too, that Jesus is going to come back. And, and the mission is short. The victory is sealed. And it's not on you and it's not on me. But, but what does that do? That doesn't call us to be lazy. It actually calls us to be bold. That that I wonder how Jesus is going to do this. I wonder how it's going to work out between now and then. I wonder what the church in America is going to look like between now and then. I wonder what what the Great Commission is going to look like around the world between now and then. I wonder how he's going to do that. And maybe this. And maybe he'll use me. And maybe he can use my conversations. Maybe he can use my encouragements to people. Maybe he can use my money Maybe he can use my prayers. Maybe he can use my relationships and my work. Maybe he can use my little life in this little part of the kingdom because that seems to be how he works. 
He started his church with fishermen and tax collectors. He works through people like us to do amazing things. And you don't know how he's going to do it, how he's going to work until we lean in. And you have to ask the question, what do you have to lose? The victory is already sure. Isn't the mission beautiful? I think I get a little tired of hearing, and maybe I did it yesterday, and I'm sorry if I did it, how hard it is. And it is hard to do ministry. It's hard to do evangelism. It's hard to engage in people's lives. But to stop for a moment and to think about how beautiful it is that God calls us in to work in his kingdom when we know the victory is already before us because of what Jesus has done. Isn't that amazing? And that's true for the mission. It's also true for your Christian growth. It's true for your life that he will finish what he started. That's his promise for you. And part of that is to go on mission for him. Let me pray. Father, help us to see the beauty of what you've called us to, wherever you've called us. Uh, Whether you've called us to be here to pray, to love the people that you have around us, whether you've called us to go around the world to love and to pray for those people as well. Lord, help us just to see how amazing, how gracious, how beautiful it is that you have given us a task to do for your kingdom. And Lord, I pray we don't do it out of pride, we don't do it out of drudgery, but we actually do it out of joy that we get to do something with our Father and our Father loves us. I pray for your kingdom to go forth wherever our missionaries are, wherever our churches are. Lord, I pray for places that we couldn't even imagine going with the gospel. I thank you for churches like Main Street Presbyterian Church that love their missionaries, that love your calling, that love their place in Columbus and seek to see the kingdom expand here as well. Lord, bless us as we go to serve you, to love you, and most of all, to find you more beautiful. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.